All right, good morning. Welcome to SOMA. I am Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you guys for, for being here today. Um, last week, obviously, was Easter Sunday, a big Sunday in the life of the church, a reminder that Jesus has risen from the dead. That's the only thing that explains who we are as Christians. That's the only thing uh, that explains why the church exists and why we even gather here and why we live our lives the way that we do uh, Monday to Saturday as well. But I think there's a disconnect a lot of times with Christians uh, and, and with people in, in our society in general because Easter and the resurrection and all of these things that we celebrated last week uh, seems to be, for some of us, almost like an isolated thing. It seems to be something that we, maybe if you're a Christian, yeah, I believe that it happened back there and I think it probably has something to do with me, but I don't really know. But in fact, when you look at the New Testament, when you look at, at what Jesus himself says, and what we look at, at what the authors of the New Testament do with the resurrection, what they show us is that Jesus didn't just come to rise from the dead like a cool magic trick, but he rose from the dead because he has come to institute a kingdom. He has come to bring the kingdom of God to earth, the reign and the rule and the blessing of God to earth, to set all things right and to make all things new. See, Jesus, when he rises from the dead, it's not just an isolated thing, but Jesus says, I am not just, it's not just my body that has been made new, but I am going to make all things new. I'm going to bring a kingdom that restores the way that God originally created this world to function. And that's what we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been the past few months in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're going over the next couple of months in the Sermon on the Mount. So we come back today to this study in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus here is showing us, he's showing us this is why I have come to die and rise again. Because I am making a new kingdom. Because I am making your hearts new. And I am making all things new. And this is what that looks like. And so we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has some of the best-known religious teaching in all the world. Some of the most famous words, the most well-known words that Jesus of Nazareth ever uttered are found here in the Sermon on the Mount. But there's this little passage that we're in today, Matthew 6, 16 to 18, that many of us, we come to it, and we have absolutely no clue what to do with it. Because it's all about fasting. Now, as you can tell by looking at me, um, fasting is something I probably need to learn a little bit more about. But, but we, there's this topic of fasting that a lot of us don't know what to do with as 21st century Americans. And it, that, that's really strange because fasting is almost a universal religious practice. Every major religion in the world has some sort of fasting, one form of fasting or another. So you go to Hinduism, you go to Islam, you go to Judaism. They all teach that it's important for some reason or another to go without food for certain periods of time. And yet it's a practice that many of us as 21st century Americans find completely alien. And it's interesting in this passage, we looked at these, these passages a, a few weeks ago, this comes right on the heels of Jesus talking about giving to the poor and talking about prayer. As American Christians, hopefully and rightly, we talk a lot about giving to the poor, and we talk even more about prayer, but we hardly ever talk about fasting. And I think there's, there's a number of reasons for that. One of those reasons is that we live in a culture that is by and large obsessed with food. I mean, you see it everywhere. Maybe you've never even thought about that. We see it in skyrocketing obesity rates, but we also see it in skyrocketing rates of eating disorders. 
You see it in all the options we have. You go into the grocery store, there are 73 different kinds of peanut butter for you to choose from. There was a 40, the 47th Kraft Burger place in Indianapolis was just started last month. I mean, we've got, I'm just making that stat up, by the way, but I've, we, have, we have this proliferation of food options, and many of us, that's what we look for, and that is not a bad thing. I enjoy that, but we have a very confused and conflicted relationship with food. You show up at the, at the checkout counter at the supermarket, and there's the magazine with the, the cover of the ultra-thin airbrushed model. Or the guy with the 12-pack abs. Like, apparently six-pack isn't enough anymore. These guys got 12-packs now. And it makes, us, makes those of us with a keg feel very self-conscious. <laughs> and so, so you've got that, right? And then right next to that magazine, you've got the Snickers bars. And I want them both. I want the 12-pack abs, and I want the Snickers. <laughs> That's right. Food is always on our minds. Whether we eat too much of it or too little of it, it's something that we are largely obsessed with. So we come to this passage like this today where Jesus talks about going without food for some kind of a spiritual purpose. And I don't know what to do with this. Because for many of us as 21st century Americans, we think that the physical is just about the physical. We think that food is just about food. It's just something that affects our physical bodies. But the Bible tells us, and what, what Jesus tells us in this passage, is that food, while it is a very important physical thing, and while it's not the ultimate thing, it is indicative of something deeper in our lives. That's why Jesus takes time here to talk about fasting. That's why every major religion talks about fasting, because fasting isn't just about what happens in your stomach. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's interesting, if you look at this passage today, that's where Jesus focuses. Jesus doesn't focus so much on the practice of fasting. He focuses on the heart behind the fasting. He's focusing on the hunger that drives you to fast or not to fast. Because this fasting thing isn't about a religious performance. It's about pursuing the power and the presence of God. Maybe you're not familiar with even the, the vocabulary here. What do we mean by fasting? And, and we're actually going to come back to this uh, in a few months. We're going to unpack this more. But, but for today, here's what fasting is. Fasting is going without food in order to feed on God. Fasting is going without food in order to feed on God. Now, there are all kinds of fasting. So people can fast for health reasons, and, 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 and a lot of people think that can be a helpful thing. Some religions fast for other reasons, but we're talking specifically today about when the Bible refers to fasting, it's talking about a hunger that's driving us to God. It's giving up something good. Food is a good thing, but it's giving up something good in order that we can feast on something better. Because Jesus here isn't just concerned with whether you eat or whether you don't eat. What he is concerned with is what is the heart underlying it. See, Jesus here is, is, is bringing, is confronting us with the central question of human existence. And here it is. He is asking us, what do you want? What do you want? What are you, what are you hungry for? I mean, have you ever asked yourself, have you ever stopped and just, just listened to yourself and asked yourself that question? What do I really want out of life? Not what do my parents think I should want? Not, not what does my career path tell me I should want? Not what's the socially acceptable thing in my circles to want, but what do I want? What do I hunger for in my gut? 
What do I long for in the core of my being? Fasting is one of the ways that God reveals that to us. Fasting strips away all those distractions and it confronts us with the fundamental question of life, what are you hungry for? Richard Foster, who's a well-known writer on spiritual formation, says this. He says, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Reveals the things that control us. It reveals the hunger of our heart. Another great theologian, uh, Bruce Springsteen, said, everybody's got a hungry heart. And some of you have no idea who Bruce Springsteen is. That's, that's a generational thing. The point is, you, me, every single one of us has a hungry heart, and that heart hunger is what drives us. Even if you can't name it, even if you can't, can't articulate, this is what I'm hungry for, that is what's driving you. And often, we have these ways to escape that hunger in our hearts, and fasting puts that question front and center, and it asks the fundamental question of human existence, what do you want? What are you hungry for? What do you long for? And then it helps us to reorient our, our appetites. It helps us to reorient our desires to the things that will truly satisfy. And so that's what I want to do today. I don't just want to focus on this practice of fasting. We're going to talk about that. But I want to drill down a little bit because I think that's where Jesus is going in this passage. I want to drill down and want to ask, what's the heart underneath? So there are three basic ways to answer this question, what do you want? And we see them in this passage today. You can say, I want to feel good. You can say, I want to look good. You can say, I want to be good. I want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to be good. First thing we see is, is this response, I want to feel good. Now, notice this. When Jesus starts out in verse 16, notice how he starts. He says, and when you fast, and then he gives these instructions. See, Jesus doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Jesus here isn't telling us to fast. He is assuming that we will fast. Pious Jews in Jesus' day uh, fasted twice a week. Jesus, again, as we said, lumps fasting in with giving to the poor and prayer. He is assuming that fasting is going to be important in the lives of his followers. He's assuming that it's going to be as important in the lives of his followers as praying and giving to the poor. And if you look at the history of the church, it was for much of the history of the church. According to the Didache, which is a first century ancient Christian text, Christians also fasted twice a week. Fasting was central in the life of the church pretty much up until the Industrial Revolution. Whether you were Roman Catholic, whether you were Eastern Orthodox, whether you were Protestant, whatever stripe of Christianity, everybody basically agreed that fasting was important. And yet we live in a different time today. Because we live in a time where we are conditioned to assume that the physical is all that there is. Or at least that the physical is what is ultimately most real about us. And as a result, because we, we ignore the other parts of our humanity, we live as slaves to our impulses. We don't want God to be our master anymore. Our bodies are our masters now. And so for many of us, this idea of denying the basic cravings of our body seems completely foreign to us. We are conditioned from the youngest age to do what feels good, to obey our thirst. And that's how many of us live our lives, doing simply what feels good in the moment, living for simply what feels good in the moment. And listen, there is nothing wrong with feeling good. There is nothing wrong with physical pleasure. God created us as physical beings with the capacity for physical pleasure, and he wants us to enjoy the good gifts that he gives us in the way that he ordains. 
But the problem is that for so many of us, we end up taking those good gifts and we make them ultimate. And we start living for nothing more than our appetite. And that's a danger for all of us. It doesn't have to be eating for you. For some of us, it's not eating, right? Kate Moss, so famously, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. For some of us, it's eating. For some of us, it's not eating. For some of us, it's sex. For some of us, it's Netflix or it's Facebook or it's any number of different things that we use to get a modicum of pleasure, a modicum of escape, things that are not bad in and of themselves, but things that eventually begin to control us, that numb our spiritual taste buds, that blunt our spiritual hunger. We have so many ways to escape the reality of God. We have more escapist options than any other culture in human history. That's why I think we need to recover this ancient practice of fasting. In an uber-affluent culture like ours, most of us have absolutely no clue to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and really mean it. We have the luxury of distracting ourselves from the reality of God and the reality of our need for him. This is where fasting can be so helpful because fasting, it does a lot of different things, but at its core, fasting confronts us with the reality of our need for God. Not just in our head, but in our gut. Fasting is a way that God viscerally reminds us how much we need him. It makes us feel weak. And that makes us hunger for God's power. Fasting is not about proving how strong you are. It's about being reminded of our weakness. Because fasting strips away our sense of self-sufficiency and makes us acutely aware of our need for God. That's why I think this practice of fasting is something that we do need to recover if we truly want to become a people of resilient hope in a chaotic world. And we are such anxious people. Listen, we have more money and more resources than 99% of the people who have ever lived. And yet we are absolutely riddled with anxiety. Could it be that our obsession with control is killing us? What if we stopped believing that we controlled everything? What if we actually trained ourselves to remember our weakness and God's strength? What if the people of Jesus had a regular practice where we were reminded that God is God and that we are not? That he is strong in our weakness. That we don't need to be sovereign over the universe. That we can depend on him. Man, do you think we might be able to recover our ability to face the world without freaking out? One of the reasons we are so anxious is that we cling to this veneer of control over things that we actually have no control over. Fasting intentionally strips away that veneer. It reminds us that God is God and we are not. And if God is a good and loving Father who knows us better than we know ourselves, who loves us more than we love ourselves, who gave his son to die and rise again in our place, then that is really good news because we can trust him with all those things we can't control. That's the point of fasting. It makes us feel our weakness and our dependence on God, and it reminds us that we can trust our good and loving Father. When we're confronted with the brokenness of this world, when we look at awful things that are happening in our society, what if we fasted and prayed for God to step in? 
Not that we don't act, okay? We do act. Not that we don't serve the poor. Not that we don't speak up against injustice. But what if we also recognize that our efforts are puny and our hashtags really aren't that effective and that we need God to step in? Some of you are facing big decisions in life. Decisions about a career, decisions about a relationship, any number of different things. What if instead of freaking out about these things, we fasted and prayed and recognized our need for God and his wisdom? Some of you guys are going through really difficult times in your marriage. What if instead of trying to manipulate your spouse, you fasted and prayed? Fasted and prayed for them. Fasted and prayed for yourself that God would change your heart and God would change their heart. What if you came to God and you recognized your weakness and your need for him and you cried out for his power and his presence? Some of you guys are struggling with some sin, with some temptation that you can't seem to beat and you feel powerless to overcome it. And that's good because you are powerless in and of yourself to overcome it. And your self-discipline and your ability to muscle through it will never set you free from sin. Now, what if we had a regular rhythm of fasting that reminded us of that fact? Where we felt our spiritual, we felt our physical hunger in our gut, and that made us cry out to God for spiritual power, for victory over temptation. Some of us just feel stuck. We feel apathetic. We feel like we've lost our appetite for God. We have lost that hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus talks about. This is one of the things that's brought me back to to this practice of fasting in recent days. Just truth be told, uh, I've been in kind of a dry season spiritually. I, I don't hunger and I don't thirst for Jesus like I once did. And I've tried a bunch of different things and I haven't been able to pull myself out of it. It's kind of like you got this spiritual sinus infection where you can't taste anything. And so I've begun fasting, begun just a little bit, just trying to feel that hunger in my gut. And when I feel that hunger, I'm asking God, would you make me hungry for you? God, would you help me to recover my spiritual sense of taste? God, would you, would you heal my spiritual taste buds? God, make me hungry for you so that you can satisfy me with your presence, so that I can taste and I can see that you are good. That's why we fast. We don't fast to prove how strong we are. We fast to be reminded of our weakness and God's strength. We fast to empty ourselves so that God can fill us. That's the heart behind fasting. Now notice something in this passage. Or actually, probably better, notice what's not in this passage. Jesus doesn't get into specifics here. Okay, so he doesn't say fast this way or this long. He doesn't mandate any certain method of fasting. As a matter of fact, I'll go further. You will never find in the New Testament a command to fast. The New Testament never tells us, thou shalt fast and thou shalt fast for this length of time and in this way, because that's not the point. We don't have time to get into it here, but if you go throughout the the, the Bible, you go throughout the history of the church, there are all different ways of fasting. There are different lengths of time. And so while while I would encourage you to implement this as a spiritual practice, as as a way to help you commune with God, I don't have any sort of thus saith the Lord command on thou shalt fast for this long in this way. That's between you and God. And what I would just encourage you to do, if this is something you're, you're wanting to step into, is, is do something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Do something that makes you feel your hunger and your weakness and your need for God. And do it for the right reasons. Don't do it as some sort of religious ritual. Don't do it to prove what a good person you are. The goal of fasting is not self-improvement. The goal of fasting is to drive us to God. 
And what Jesus shows us here is that it's not primarily about an outward act. It's about a posture of the heart. Some of you guys are really hardcore. You're type A robo-Christians, and you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to start a 40-day fast. You're going to be like, it's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. All I can say is, go more power to you. Uh, For most of us, that is not a good place for us to start. And some of us actually do. Some of us have health considerations uh, to take into account. Maybe you're a nursing mother. Maybe you're diabetic. For me, um, I get really intense migraine headaches. I know that missing a meal is going to be one of those things that brings them on and is going to pretty much incapacitate me. And so I have to take that into account when I'm thinking this is when I'm going to fast and this is how I'm going to fast. See, the point is not to prove what a great person you are by how long you can fast. Jesus doesn't love you any more for a 40-day fast. He doesn't love you any less if you just fast for one meal. The point of whatever it is, is to drive you to deeper dependence on God. And so I would encourage you, if you've never done this before, start small. Skip a meal and and spend that time in prayer instead. And when you start to feel hungry, ask God, God, would you take this physical hunger and would you turn it into spiritual hunger? Would you give me a hunger for you and would you satisfy me with your presence? When you start to feel weak, use that as a reminder, God, I actually am weak. And I need your strength. I need your presence. But whatever you do, let your physical hunger remind you of your spiritual hunger. Let your physical weakness remind you of your spiritual weakness. And let it drive you to seek satisfaction and strength in God. For many of us, we live for nothing more than feeling good. And fasting is a practice that helps us reorient our hunger so that we begin to desire what is truly satisfying. So for some of us, we answer this question, what do I want? We answer this question with, I just want to feel good. That's our deepest hunger. That's our deepest craving. But for some of us, it's something else. For some of us, it's not, I want to feel good. For some of us, it's, I want to look good. And that's where Jesus really focuses his attention in this passage. So look again, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, the problem with people in Jesus' day was not that they were not fasting. The problem is that they they were fasting, and they were fasting for the wrong reasons. They were fasting to be seen by other people, because the deepest hunger of their hearts was their reputation. They wanted to look good to other people. And so they would, they would intentionally not wash their faces. They would walk around with kind of this disheveled appearance. That's what these guys are, are doing here. They're intentionally looking gloomy and hungry, walking around like holding their stomach, showing how hungry they are because they want people to think highly of them. Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Because fasting is about hungering for God. It's a way of saying, God, I want you more than anyone else. That's why he calls them hypocrites, because these guys weren't hungry for God. These guys were hungry for the applause of other people. And Jesus says, don't be like them. When you fast, wash your face. Put some product in your hair. Quit putting on the act. You don't need to live tweet your fast. Okay, right? Like, nothing but the bread of life for me today. Hashtag fasting Friday, right? That's not what Jesus wants you to do. That's what he's talking, that's what he's speaking against here. Because here's the thing. If what you want out of life is to look good, if what you want out of life is the praise of other people, you can get it. You can adapt your looks and your style 
and your religious activities and your social media profile to get people to think well of you. But that's all you'll get. Jesus says you've received your reward in full. You start to live that way. And then when people don't notice you, you are consumed with bitterness and self-pity. And even when they do notice you, you will constantly be stressed out because you will be terrified of slipping up and disappointing them and losing their approval. Jesus says, I want to set you free from the slaves. I, wanna, I don't want you to live as a slave of the opinions of others. I want to set you free from this compulsive need to perform. Now, there's nothing wrong with being praised by other people. It is not wrong for people to see your works of righteousness. Matthew 5.16, just the, a page earlier, in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father as in heaven. Jesus says good works are a good thing if they're done for the right reason, if they're done to bring glory to your Father in heaven. But the problem is that so often our good works aren't about bringing glory to our Father in heaven. They're about bringing glory to ourselves. Not wrong for people to know that you're fasting. Not wrong for them to know that you're praying. Not wrong for them to know that you're giving to the poor. If someone asks you why you're not eating, you don't need to lie to them. That defeats the whole purpose. But Jesus' point here is not that your fasting is worthless if someone sees you doing it. The question is, with serving or giving or fasting or anything that you do, the question is, why are you doing it? There's a difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. So the question always is, what's your motivation? What do you want? What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for a sense of his presence in your life? Are you hungry for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are you hungry for the approval of other people? Are you hungry for the approval of your parents? your co-workers or your Instagram followers. Jesus here is confronting us with the reality of God. That's what he is trying to put his finger on. How real is God to you? Not asking, do you believe that God exists? Jesus is asking, is God real to you? Is God real enough to you that even if no one else notices you, that's enough for you, that God notices you? Because here's the danger. It is possible to become so concerned about what other people think of us, to worry so much about how they perceive our acts of righteousness that they and their opinions eventually become more real to us than our Father in heaven. We stop feeling the presence of God, and we blunt our appetite, and we numb our spiritual taste buds to the reality of God, and all of a sudden, even though we still believe in God as a philosophical construct, he stops being real to us. And I'm a pastor. I know this danger better than anyone. In many ways, my vocation is in some ways tied up to what you guys think of me. And even as I stand here preaching this sermon, there is this awful, destructive temptation to worry about what do they think about me. To, to do good things for the wrong reasons. To speak the word of God for the applause of other people. God help me. God help us. God set us free from this drug of approval. Something that is so insidious in our practice of religion where we can take these good things and we can do them for destructive purposes. And let me say this, this isn't just a religious thing. This is a human thing. 
You might not be live tweeting your social media fast. Maybe you're not religious at all, but you are still desperate for the applause of other people. Heard this quote, read this quote recently. Broad Ripple's own David Letterman said this in an interview back in 1996. I think this is the way a lot of us live our lives. It says, every night you're trying to prove yourself. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. That's how some of us live our lives. Every conversation feels like an interview. Every interaction feels like an audition. Our deepest hunger is I just want to look good. I want to be accepted. And Jesus says, I want to set you free from that. Because the fully human life is not just a life of trying to feel good, and it's not even a life of simply trying to look good. It's a life of being discipled by Jesus, being apprenticed by Jesus into what it means to be good. Now I realize as soon as I say that, some of you are starting to freak out. Because ironically, being good, the idea of goodness, has become a bad word in some circles. When we think of someone trying to be good or trying to learn to be good, we think of this self-righteous religious person. Or maybe we think of the immature little kid who's obsessed with following the rules so they don't get in trouble. But that's not what the Bible talks about. That's not what Galatians 5 talks about when it says that goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Bible talks about goodness, what it's talking about is the fully human life that you and I have been created for. Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings in his image after his likeness, and he says they are very good. God created us with this initial goodness, and that's what Jesus is restoring. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Our first parents decide to listen to their stomachs rather than listening to God. They begin to doubt that God loves them. They begin to think that God might be holding out on them. And so what do they do? They eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they trusted their appetites rather than trusting God. And friends, that's the story of us all. We all naturally trust our appetites rather than God. We all naturally doubt the goodness of God and obey our stomachs instead. The good news is that there is one who didn't. That there was once a man who trusted the voice of his father more than he trusted the growling of his stomach. I am so thankful that Matthew chapter 6 comes after Matthew chapter 4. Because if you just flip over one page in their Bible, you'll find Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, what you find is that before Jesus goes up on the mountain to preach this sermon, he goes out into the desert to live this sermon. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Profound insight there. He was hungry. <laughs> and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Tempter comes along and he says, Hey, Jesus. Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, if you really are the Son of God, if your Father really loves you, Jesus, then why are you starving out here in the desert? Doesn't your Father love you, Jesus? Doesn't your Father want what's best for you? Don't trust your Father, Jesus. Trust your gut. Trust your appetites. What does Jesus do? Verse 4. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I trust my Father. I trust that He will sustain me. And more than I need physical bread, I need to hear the voice of my Father. That's what Jesus came to restore. He came to restore us to the Father. He came to restore our humanity. He came to redeem and restore and to remake us into what God created us to be, where we no longer have to be a slave of our appetites because Jesus has made us sons and daughters of God who can trust the voice of our Father. Jesus says the way to wholeness, the way to flourishing, the way to the beautiful life, the way to the good life, the way to the goodness that God created you for is to live with a constant awareness of your Father in heaven. That's why he says what he says, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Why? What's the point? That your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. The fully human life is a life where I am no longer dependent simply on feeling good. And I am no longer dependent simply on looking good. I don't need to be seen by others. Why? Because I know that my Father sees me. My Father sees me. How would that change your life if you just remembered that your Father loves you and your Father sees you? How would that set you free from anxiety? How would that liberate you from the need to impress other people? How would that dispel all of that fear and that shame that haunt you constantly? Your Father sees you. Even when no one else sees you, when no one else notices you, when no one else thanks you, your Father sees you. So many of you guys serve in such hidden, sacrificial ways. You give to meet needs in this church, in your MC, in your community. You serve in ways that nobody notices. You lose sleep praying for the good of our city, praying for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, praying that, that, that God would save your neighbors or your coworkers. <laughs> Dads, many of you work hard all day and you come home and you, and you serve your wife and your kids without any fanfare. Your father sees you then. Moms, some of you cleaning out the vomit out of your child's hair for the 16th time this week. If nobody else sees you, your father sees you. We do these works of righteousness, these, these simple, mundane things that seem so unimpressive that nobody seems to get any press for. And what you need to remember is that your father sees you. Jesus says when you fast, when you intentionally deprive yourself of food so that you can learn to hunger for God, your father sees you. And he promises to reward you, verse 18. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, Protestants get really nervous when we start talking about rewards here. But let me tell you, it is not wrong to, de to desire a reward from God. Let me actually go a step further. In fact, if you don't want a reward for God from God, you don't have faith. You don't actually believe in him. Let me show you. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. That he exists, one, and that he rewards those who seek him. See, that's what faith is. Faith is not just believing that God exists as some philosophical construct. Faith is trusting that God rewards those who seek him. 
and he rewards us with the best possible thing. He promises to give us the one thing that we're truly hungering for, the one thing that will satisfy us better than the best food or the best sex or the best wine or the best reputation or the largest social media following. He promises to give us himself. Fasting is a way that we turn away from these lesser pleasures to seek ultimate pleasure in God. Listen, the reward of being seen by other people is worthless. It's fleeting. It's transient. It'll be done. The reward of seeing God and being seen by God, that is worth giving up everything for. Fasting is a way to feast on God. It's a way that we more deeply experience the presence of the Father. Listen, you don't fast so that God will love you. You fast because your Father loves you. And you want to experience his love. You want to be reminded, my father sees me. I'm a dad. I've got three young kids, age five, age three, and age two. I love to give gifts to my children. I love to see the joy on their face when I give them a new toy. Even if it's the 17th Lightning McQueen action figure, and I've sprained my ankle on the other 16, I still love to see the joy on their face. Here's something I've learned. That toy that they're so excited about right now, they're going to be tired of it in a few months. They're going to move on to something else. Do you know what my kids never get tired of? They never get tired of their daddy's attention. What they want more than anything else in all the world is to know that their daddy sees them. Now I realize someday they're going to be way too cool for me and they're going to see me out in public and they're going to pretend they don't know me. But for, but for now, they love being seen by their father. Gifts are fine, but what they really want is the reality of their daddy's love. They want their daddy to see them. And some of you in this room right now, you have lived your entire life wishing that your daddy would see you. For one reason or another, you've never felt that. And I want you to know your father sees you. Your Father in heaven sees you. So please hear me. When we are talking about fasting here, this is not a way to get God to love you. It is a way to experience his love, to feel his love more deeply. It's a way for his love to become more real because God is a good Father and God gives us good gifts and food is one of those expressions of God's love. It's one of those gifts that he gives us but that gift isn't ultimately what I am hungering for in the core of my being. What I need more than anything else, what I hunger for more than anything else is to know that my Father sees me. And fasting is just one of the myriad of ways that we stop obsessing over the toys and we simply step away from the toys to spend time with our Father. The toys are great. The toys aren't bad, but they will never fully satisfy us. What makes us fully and finally and ultimately happy is knowing that our Father loves us and our Father sees us. Fasting, one of the primary ways that we cultivate that awareness serves as this reminder that our Father sees us. But listen, fasting is not an end in and of itself. It's not just about this practice of self-discipline. The goal is that it drives you to God. Fasting leads us to feasting. Going without food can increase our hunger for God, but eating food can also remind us of the goodness of God. That's why every week we do this thing called the Lord's Supper. 
Because this meal, this simple bread and this simple cup is a reminder that our Father sees us, that our Father loves us, that He invites us to the dinner table. He invites us to eat and drink and taste and see that He is good. This bread, this cup is a reminder that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. They remind us that He is the one who perfectly trusted His Father in life and death body broken for us, blood spilled for us. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves, but we would be sons and daughters of God. Listen, friends, that's the only way that God can see us and not condemn us. Because the fact is, we are all sinners. We have all been more concerned with what other people think than what God thinks. We have all chosen to obey our appetites rather than trusting God. St. Ignatius said this, he said, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Man, that's all of us. That's what we have all done. We have all refused. We have all been unwilling to trust that our good, loving Father simply wants our deepest happiness. And that cuts us off from God. That separates us from God. But here's the good news. The Bible tells us that Jesus was cut off for us. When he hung on that cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father turned his face away from his son. For the only moment in all of eternity, the Father chose not to see his son. Why? Because he was suffering in our place. He was dying for our sins. God the Father turned his face away from his son so that he could turn his face toward you and me. So that he could see us, so that he could look on us with love and acceptance. So that he could see us not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of God. So that he could bring us into the family, so that he could bring us home, and so he could welcome us to the dinner table. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. And and if that's your hope, if that's what you're trusting in, if you're trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to bring you home to God, then come and eat and drink and celebrate that fact today. We have stations at the front. We have stations out in the gallery in the back. We simply come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and take it and return to our seats. And if that's not true for you, maybe you're here and you're just exploring this Christianity thing and you're, you've got questions about Jesus and you're not sure where you stand. I hope if there's one thing you learned from what we talked about today is that perfunctory religious duties are not what God calls us to. And so don't do the perfunctory religious thing. We invite you just to remain in your seat. No one's going to call you out. No one thinks any less of you. But just remain in your seat and just ask yourself, what do I think about this? If you're open to praying, maybe pray and just ask God, God, help me to, help me to understand this in whatever words uh, God gives you. And so, um, but I would encourage you to explore these things. So if you've got questions about that, I'd love to speak with you after the service. So let's pray uh, and then let's take the Lord's Supper.